Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Spiritual Rebels and Misfits podcast. We are really excited that you're here to get weird with us. <laughs> and we're going to have all kinds of, you know, absurd ideas playing around with magnificent guests. And we're just going to go to places you always wanted to go. But, you know, you can tell mom and dad how you felt about aliens, about channeling. You couldn't say fuck. I'm Ashley Bradley. I am a mom. I am an intuitive business coach. I'm a business psychic and a channel. And I am James Lester. I am an open homosexual. I'm a speaker, a writer. I am a member of the recovery community, and I am a queer activist. And after you listen today, we would love it if you would follow us in one of the podcast places, Spotify, Apple, just to name a few subscribe, leave us a review. It helps new people find what we've created. And we thank you for listening. Let's do this. Hi, everyone. Hello. Welcome. Hi. Hi, we see Rebecca and Meg. If you're here, just let us know. That's the fun of being live with people. It's always better when someone's watching. <laughs> so I know that you're like really stoked about this episode because he told me he's like, I feel like it's been too long since we've talked about otherworldly beings mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. we're really trying to clean up our language around here to not use the A word. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're really not because mm-hmm. who's the real alien? Yeah. It's a fucked up word. We don't use that around here. <laughs> <laughs> not these parts. But yeah, I'm excited because you and I constantly, like every single time we talk to each other, which is quite often in the week, we talk about otherworldly beings. Mm -hmm. And I love talking about all kinds of other crazy shit, but we need to get back down to the basics. Or like with Chris, who's going to enlighten us with some of his experiences. It's like, are they actually from other worlds Mm -hmm. or is it just our perception? Maybe they're just from different dimensions that we can't see. I, think, yeah, right. I personally think it's a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. I think it's other worlds, other dimensions. Some of them are here, have been here. But, yeah. you know, those are the kind of conspiracy theories I like. Those are my jams. My jams. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we have listened to Chris's podcast before, an interview that he had with some other gentleman. I forget his name. <laughs> it was a Halloween episode. I yeah. remember that. Uh-huh. And so we're excited to dive into that. Is there anything that you specifically want to ask him or, cause I feel like I want people to know and get hyped a little bit about Chris so they can fucking chime in and ask him a bunch of questions and, you know, we can warm them up a little bit. Well, I'm, I'm sure Chris <laughs> is going to be a okay on warming people up himself, but <laughs> if, if anyone does have questions while they're watching the live, please put them in the chat box. Chris does talk about encounters with all kinds of different beings. Mm-hmm. So if you have any kind of questions about any of that stuff, what are some of the other beings that were mentioned on that podcast? Well, I know specifically Sasquatch mm. was one as a child. I know that he talks about in this podcast um, that he was on like this lady of, of light. Um, I definitely want to ask him because he talked about some very vivid dreams where like he woke up like on his front lawn or like in the hallway. And I thought that that was really interesting. So I think I'm curious um, of just getting his perspective because he seems very well researched in addition to having a lot of his own experiences to just get his perspective on like, hmm, are, is this some real shit going down, but we're just remembering it as a dream time state? Is it astral? So I think it'll be really good just to like dive into some of my curiosities and get his two cents, you know? I agree. And hello, Julie. Hello. 
I don't know how to say that person's <laughs> name. <laughs> but yeah, definitely. I, I'm very, very fascinated about what is what we're remembering as a dream because it's the only way we can really comprehend and really deal with it when we have certain experiences like a lot of trauma you'll only remember in dream states but i think also when we have experiences with otherworldly beings or spirits when we can't really comprehend it fully or understand it that it we we remember it as a dream even though it mm. might have been a reality because it's the yeah. only way our feeble little human brains can handle all that spiritual shit going on. It's like we have to be like, oh, that was a dream. That was a fantasy. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I feel like with a lot of the Dolores Cannon stuff that I really dove into deeply is that um, many times until they start diving into her hypnotic work to access the subconscious, people are not fucking consciously remembering anything. And they just seem like, oh, I'm just like, you know, a handyman. And I have this regular life in Iowa so, and then they dive in and then they've actually had all of these experiences. So I think I'm, I'm curious to ask him about that. I think that it's so much, it's happening so much more often, but for the average person, they're actually not aware of it or they're not tuned to the frequency to see it. So we keep referencing Dolores Cannons. What are the, the two major books that you read? Is it two or three that you've read just so mm. our, our listeners have a reference for it? Because the one we listened to on the way to Sodana all the way back was amazing. What was that? The... I feel like they, I might be at five or six now. Oh. So I've kind oh, of... okay. <laughs> because they're audiobooks, uh-huh. I consume them very quickly. And I feel like how you've gotten obsessed with alien paraphernalia fucking shirts. Like... I got into Dolores Cannon. You said the A word. <laughs> I, well, sometimes you just have to like, you know, people want to know what's going on <laughs> <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> Go on. But anyway, like Keepers of the Garden was mm-hmm. like the first one, which is essentially about um, that we were seeded by another more technologically advanced race. And then if you do think about like how we're talking about doing that or like, Oh, can we do that on other planets? Like if we're at that fucking place right now to be able to do that, then why wouldn't these other more advanced civilizations have the capacity to do that here on earth? And so, uh, it talks a lot about that and, and, uh, people have these, very vivid memories of being a part of that process. Like they talk about some of the resets with like Lemuria and Atlantis. And so um, I think one of the ones that things that I want to ask him is like, he mentioned mother Mary when he talks about lady of light. And then I'm like, okay, so this goes back to like alien Jesus. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like that's how I like to think about him other than being a fucking badass, like witchy healer, you know, but um there was so many of those biblical photos like we talked about or people with these like glowing, uh, you know, halos around them. So I think that, well, in the paintings and the mosaics, like it's not just fucking halos There's straight up like crafts in the background of so many of these photos, like all over these photos. So like the halos, yeah, those are cool. Like representation of it. But mm-hmm. like, if you look back at like biblical, like paintings and mosaics and shit like that, they weren't like, they were like, here's a fucking, it's a UFO. There's like no way around it. And like, we try to paint that out because our little minds can't wrap around it. And what I do love about Keepers of the Garden is she kind of came upon this by accident. Mm-hmm. You know, she was doing past life regression with this, this gentleman that she stumbled upon in her research. She wasn't there to actually uh, do past life regression with him. He happened to be there for someone else. And just the stuff she was able to unpack with it on accident so it's not like she went looking for these great insightful stories of past lives on other planets 
it's she stumbled upon by accident but everything that was unraveled from that book that we we heard together mm-hmm. it hit home it all made sense it all resonated and that was written in like the 80s and it was, I think a lot of the 80s and 90s and was it, like a lot of her work. It yeah. was still, it was hitting now. Even the, what these these beings from other planets were talking about what was going to happen in the future is kind of. Oh, I kind of trip out. Yeah, because I'm listening to these things that were these past life hypnosis things 20 years ago. And they're like talking about, yeah, you know, and these like illnesses that come and how it's like a part of the evolution. And it's like a more like powerful, like spiritual presence needs needs a more powerful like vessel and it's like it's there was some very (laughs) interesting and timely things to hear and it always just made me curious like why I happened to stumble upon it um but it um it really does talk a lot about like things that are referencing this time in history or you know all of the like ascension theory and talk about that some people they kind of choose to opt out to have a different 3D experience. The other thing I want to ask Chris about, because I feel like he said something at, towards the end of that podcast was about like the consciousness of earth needs to rate be um, mm-hmm. high enough to really be this like interstellar species or this galactic species. It's sort of like, they don't, they're like, we've been at the kitty table at earth. Girl, we're still at the kitty table. No, I know. Like, we've been taken off the kitty table. We've been put inside for Inside a nap because we're fucking being fucking brats. That's where we're at as far as ascending. Well, I think like they were, t- I guess, like astrologically, mm-hmm. some of our, ast- you know, astrology homies, if you're here, like, I guess 2026 was like, a, is a year that a lot have um, foreseen different things. And so I just think it's interesting to dive into this sort of like new earth, um, kind of uh, conversation as well of like, okay, like at what point will the full disclosure happen? Will we really be a part of this like galactic community and realize that there's more going on? Well, I think pretty much everyone knows, but uh, for those of you who don't, that on the back of one of those COVID bills, like, you know, come July this year, a lot more stuff is supposed to have to be revealed to the, the general public about what they do know about UFO, aerial phenomenon mm-hmm. and all that. Of course, there's a lot of thinking that's going to be pushed back and pushed back as much as they can. But that's part of the reason this conversation is so fascinating is that like the more is supposed to be revealed that, you know, we're already yeah. in disclosure, but more disclosure is supposed to be coming our way. So I think it's really interesting. And I, I kind of have a sense that like they keep otherworldly beings have to keep setting back like the time frame for when they do make full contact with us because we're so fucking juvenile that they're like, not ready yet. Still not fucking ready. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I guess not this century. So hopefully, you know, as more people, as we go through this great awakening, we can start to uh, like ascend to that place where they actually want to have full contact with us. Well, I think that, I think that the, yes, my perspective of all sides of this, because there's obviously a lot of different opinions on it is that like, it's been kind of drip fed or spoon fed to us. Mm-hmm. And like, it has always made sense that like Hollywood and movies have been a big part of releasing that information and normalizing it for everyone. And remember, what's the Blink-182 guy? The Don't know you don't know his name. No, I mean, after I found out, I was like, he's a fucking guy in a band and into aliens. Like, she sprouted wood over I that mean, shit. It's fine. <laughs> you're allowed to sprout wood when you're married. It's allowed. <laughs> but yeah, like, I mean, I mean, I don't know about, I can't remember his name. Tom DeLong. Mm. Tom DeLong. Okay. So. Did you get a little hot there? <laughs> you want me to turn the air conditioning up some more? 
Damn. That too is fucking in the band and in the otherworldly beings. I just got a heart on. Well, anyway, like that's a part of when we were watching that that podcast interview mm-hmm. with I don't remember the other I'm really bad with names right now. Sweet. I know. <laughs> podcast. Um, but anyway, like I think that he is somebody that can provide a service for these intelligence agencies that have this information and they're trying to basically feed this information to the masses to normalize it so that it's not just like, you know, independence day scenarios. Well, well, Dr. Greer, who has made two documentaries that you and I both love and many other ones, but the two ones that we really resonate, he's talking about we, we have to have a peaceful resolution kind of a contact contract with these otherworldly beings because our planet is still so based in war (laughs) and so much about destruction Mm. and about you know territory and taking over that we have to come to a peaceful resolution and one of the quotes he says i'm going to misquote he's like talking about there's like all this proof of them being love loving beings and beings that want to have contact with us and there's all this proof of us being hostile back with them yeah so we really need to think about that. I mean, I think we're past the point of like, oh, do they exist? I mean, let's get real. If you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> you probably believe. But how are we being perceived by other beings from other dimensions? How are we being perceived by other travelers that are visiting our world? And it's probably not too great. So I think collectively, those that are in spiritually a little bit woke, we need to kind of change that vibration. So I'm really interested to see what Chris has to say about mm, that. Yes. If, if anyone has any questions, please throw them up. Um, we're looking at the comments. We'll make mm-hmm. sure to bring them up to Chris. But I'm excited to hear what our, our friend has to say. Here. Yeah. We'll let him introduce himself. We did meet him in like a CE5 group. So all our friends are home. Do you want to join the podcast? <laughs> it's not allowed. It's okay. But anyway, the CE5 is about... Um, you explain it. Contact close encounters of the fifth kind. It's about using meditation um, and also light sources to make, and I'm probably not even explaining this, but yeah. my, it's meditation using a, a conscious energy to really have that peaceful contact with otherworldly beings, to make our presence know that we're here for peace, mm. to really have that group energy, to meditate, to have the same frequency of peace. If other people are well, more well-versed with CE5, please yeah, feel free comment, to jump in. Tell us your I'm, view on yeah, it. Yeah, we're both novos in it right now. I got the fucking app. We have not done it. <laughs> That's as far as we I got the that. app and got into the group, yeah. and then we talked about... So Chris probably will school us on that, and I'm yeah. grateful, if you will. We keep talking about like he's like a celebrity, because he kind of is right well, now. Well, to us, he is, yeah. yeah. So you better live up to it, Chris, <laughs> or I'm going to be heartbroken. Well, we do plan to, in Joshua Tree in no. the coming weeks like we really want to go there and do the ce5 protocol but that's how we got connected with chris when we had this desire to get back into conversation around this topic so let's just pull in chris we'll let him introduce himself hi chris hi friend can you hey, hear us okay um i can't hear you guys hmm. can anybody else hear us Simone, uh, oh, you know what, Chris? I think you might need to, uh, maybe I should type to him because I think he has to change his um, private chat. Change your speaker output. Let's see. Okay. So, Cam Mike settings. This is a part of being in a live 
the excitement of a live show. <laughs> Cam mic settings below. Can you guys hear me now? Yeah. Yes. Can you hear us? Okay. I can hear you guys now. I think it was my headphones that were being the problem. But hi. Hi. <laughs> so you maybe heard, did you hear any of it or no? I got bits of it on my, uh, my phone. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, difficulties. that's a part of being live and we are so here for it. You know, I think that's what keeps it really exhilarating. We were hyping you up. Chris, yeah, so yeah. Just so you know. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, we wanted you to just briefly talk about like, if you had to give like the, the two or three minute overview of who you are and like why we like tap to you to come chat with us. Let's start there. Well, um, so for my entire life, going back to my earliest memories, I actually uh, have had all sorts of um, what I think are anomalous and unexplainable kind of uh, things happen to me. Um, my very first memory, I'm standing in my crib and I see what looks like this like vortex open up in the hallway right next to my room. Um, there's this loud pop sound and then it like the hallway stretched out into infinity, kind of like a, like an accordion. Um, and then sat there just watching it and uh after however long uh there was another loud pop sound and then it just went back to normal and i remember that happening quite a quite often throughout my childhood um amongst some other like weird experiences uh when i was around eight years old um my sister and i were playing in the front yard of my parents property they live up in uh uh up in the boonies of the Columbia River Gorge. Um, they have about five and a half acres of forest land. And, um, you know, out here in the Pacific Northwest, Sasquatch is a pretty big, uh, pretty big and well-known resident. And uh, he just showed up in my backyard when my sister and I were playing and just kind of sat there and watched us for, for a little bit and then walked back off into the forest. Um, and so my experiences kind of continued on. Um, I started seeing a lot of like shadow entities when I was around 13. Um, and that still happens every once in a while. Uh, but between about 13 and right up until I was about 20, 23, 24 years old, um, that was kind of the most intense period of my life for uh, these kind of experiences. And they still happen every once in a while, but definitely not with the frequency that they used to. Um, when I was 23, I was uh, really into yoga and meditation. I had a daily practice and uh, that was when I had my most profound experience so far. I um, had what I can only describe as being an out of body experience where um, my physical body was in my living room in lotus position and my conscious self uh, was all of a sudden in the kitchen, which is right next to the living room in this apartment that I was in. And standing about a foot and a half in front of me was a being about four, four and a half feet tall. Um, it was wearing a indigo colored, dark uh, hooded robe. And I couldn't see very much skin, but the skin that I could see looked like it was uh, made out of moonlight. It was uh, mm. shining and it's kind of hard to look at. Um, and this entity had, uh, overwhelmingly feminine vibes to it. Um, it felt like 
uh, standing in the presence of what I imagine standing in the presence of a goddess might feel like. Mm. Um, I don't know exactly what she was. Um, I'm still kind of up in the air about it, but uh, a couple of years ago when I really got into paranormal research, um, like hardcore, I started to find out that uh, interactions with light beings was pretty common amongst experiencers. And um, one in particular, the Lady of Light, uh, just resonated with me uh, super hard. And since then, I've had synchronicities that uh, I feel like it was the Lady of Light that I met when I was 23. Mm. So that's kind of up to where I'm at. And so now I'm... Um, like I said, I'm a paranormal researcher, um, amateur, of course, I don't have any credentials, but uh, my particular area of focus is non-human entities and their interactions with humans. And I thought it was interesting because there was something about Mother Mary that came in. And I remember in the, the podcast, you even talked about people confusing these entities with like gods. And so um, we were chatting before about that we do think like, oh, Jesus, or maybe some of the the people that were surrounded in light. Do you have any any thoughts like from your research about um, confusion or um, mix-ups that, that you've seen or noticed? Well, when it comes to this, I, I like to look at the field of weird stuff as a whole, not necessarily just the stuff that's happened in the last like 10, 50, 70 years, but going back to interactions with like elves and fairies um, and meeting this, this being the lady of light. She's been known by a bunch of different names throughout history. Um, in a lot of indigenous cultures, especially in America, like the native Americans knew her as white Buffalo calf woman. Um, she would show up as a white Buffalo calf and then she would transform into this uh, 16, 17 year old girl and perform miracles. Um, and the Marian apparitions definitely have a place here as well. Um, a lot of the Marian apparitions share patterns with a lot of modern day abductions and contact scenarios, including uh, missing time. Um, and physical objects uh, showing up out of nowhere. Um, so one of the more famous ones, especially in the UFO community, um, is one that uh, the UFO researcher Jacques Vallée actually went over. Uh, I think it was in his book, Passport to Magonia. Um, but it was about this guy. Uh, he was, uh, I believe he was Mayan. Um, and it was the, the Marian apparition of Guadalupe. Um, she essentially, I think she showed up to him like three or four times, um, telling him that he needed to go to the local priest, which I believe was, um, it was a Catholic church run by the Aztecs at the time, I think. Um, and I could be missing all this stuff up, but, um, at the time relations between the Aztecs and the Mayans weren't very, uh, they weren't very good. <laughs> to say the least. And so he was very wary about going and doing this, but she kept insisting um, this apparition that called herself the Mother Mary and said that she would perform a miracle that would convince uh, the priest to build a temple in her honor. Um, and so 
she ended up doing that and it was uh the i believe it's a a shroud um kind of like the shroud of turin but it's got uh an apparition of the mother mary with a bunch of roses and that's where we get the lady of guadalupe image mm -hmm. um but there was a lot of aspects about it that like i said matched up with patterns of modern day uh contact scenarios um and there's also the uh, miracle of fatima is another one um where uh there were three children involved but the the main girl um she had a being appeared to her that called himself the angel of peace. Um, and then a year later she had a Marian apparition show up and this Marian apparition said that she would show up the same day of every month. And these three children uh, who were sheep herders, um, they would have to uh, pray the rosary every day, um, pray for sinners and that she would show up the same day every month and they would just have to show up and be there. And um, so they got a big following from all the uh, believers in the area. People would come for hundreds of miles around um, for a few months. Um, and the local government was very uh, materialistic and anti-spiritual. And so they went up to even threatening the kids' lives uh, saying that uh, the kids were lying and they were trying to make them confess and the kids stuck to their guns and um so the the marian apparition said that she would perform a miracle in uh october which was the last uh time that she showed up to the kids and um it was called the miracle of the sun and there was a lot of people there i think it was in the realm of like a hundred thousand people wow. were standing in this little field in fatima and non-believers, believers, there were uh, media reporters there. And this is in um, 19, ooh, 1911, mm. sometime back in then. Um, it was right before World War One, And so all these people showed up and she said that she was going to have the miracle show up uh, at noon. Noon rolls around, nothing happens. But as soon as the sun reaches its zenith in the sky, um, it kind of starts moving around kind of like a UFO does kind of back and forth like a ping pong ball. And it bathed the entire crowd in this like really crazy prism of light. It, uh, some of the spectators said it looked like um, a stained glass window. Wow. It was covering the entire field. And then the sun or what looked like the sun um shot down at the crowd really really fast and a lot of people thought that it was actually going to make impact and so they got really frightened um but it stopped just short of that and then just disappeared and it was just the normal sun again um it had been raining for quite a while up to the point that this happened but after this miracle of the sun uh everybody in the ground it was all completely dry um and the Marian apparition gave the kids a couple of prophecies. Um, it's really interesting to kind of look into those as well. Um, it's just, it was one of those things that was highly documented and everything that this thing said was going to come true came true. Wow. So I'm 
really wondering why it's not talked about a little bit more, but there's definitely, there definitely seems to be a connection with, uh, with Mary. I love that. So I'm really, as you're telling the story, I'm really thinking back to, you know, in India and the Indian culture and the religions that sprouted from there, they really believed that the gods walked with them. They were actual beings. And I'm really wondering from your research and your thoughts about like those possibly being beings from other planets that we perceived as gods or maybe actual gods. And, you know, as you're telling these stories, I start to think about beings that can, you know, transfer in between dimensions quickly. And that's why we think of them as apparitions, like because they just shoot between dimensions and they're here and they're gone. And what your thoughts and your research on those kinds of phenomenons, a like, you know, looking back at religions where they thought like these were gods or giants and the possibility of them being from other planets or other dimensions and the possibility of apparitions or ghosts being just, you know, people or uh, other beings transferring between dimensions. Well, I think there's a bunch of different things going on, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not think that there's just one answer for it. Um, I am also of the suspicions that actual extraterrestrial contact is something that doesn't happen very often. Um, I think 90% of what we're dealing with comes from our own planet. Um, could be time travel. There's evidence for that. Um, it could be dimension, uh, different dimensions. Um, John Keel and uh, Charles Fort were actually of the mind that a lot of this was uh, interdimensional or ultra-dimensional. Um, I also think that there's a big case to be made for uh, crypto-terrestrials. Um, essentially intelligent life that lives here alongside us and we just don't know about it or um they keep themselves well hidden so they could have if if we're going with the crypto terrestrial thing um it could be a branch of humanity that uh is far advanced from the society and culture that we live in um it could have been a pre-cataclysmic uh, human civilization. Um, it could be another uh, species that evolved kind of on a different path than we did. And um, created their own culture and society and technology. And that would explain kind of why it seems so alien to us because if they, like our, our technology is based uh, a lot off of electricity. Um, what if they, this other, hypothetical species came up with a a way to harness uh, a different kind of energy to kind of power their technology. Um, There's a lot of different what ifs and we really need more data. And I, that's why I kind of say like, I warn people against thinking that the extraterrestrial hypothesis is the only answer. Um, And whatever the others are, whatever the visitors are, I think that there is definitely a lot of evidence to show that they have uh, influenced mankind, um, specifically with with religions and our concepts of spirituality. Um, so many cultures across the planet have these myths about uh, beings coming down from the stars or beings coming up from you know from within the earth to help us with our 
our architecture, our arts, um, language, everything. Um, it just seems like all of our all of our ancestors are pointing to, hey, these things aren't human, and they made us what we are today. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm curious about dreams um, because I have never encountered, like, I can't say that I've ever seen, like, a craft. I've never had, like, a physical experience. Um, I I definitely want to ask you about the channeling as well, because um, I have done readings for a long time, and then at one point I started to kind of, um, other types of contact started to happen, but it was more um, directing me into, like, writing it down stage, like, kind of just being the one that transcribes, and uh, because of the other readings that I've done I knew how to sort of slip into that state to just be a receiver and so I I definitely want to pick your brain kind of on channeling because that's the only kind of um, I think communication that I've experienced but at the same time it's not like someone just sits down in front of me so it's one of the most challenging to actually be able to trust that and like it took me years to even like talk to people about that you know Um, the, there's, I think that piece of it, and also the the dream time piece, which I know you talk about on the other podcast. And um, at some point, I heard someone mention that it feels like a dream time state. And um, I, there's only one dream that I have, and I typically don't remember my dreams where I'm like with all these other people in this field, and we board this craft, and we're all kind of like laying down in these chambers. And it's just, it's one of those dreams that I always remembered, and I never thought about it until more recent years that I'm like wait, why do I have this, this memory that stuck with me? Like, let's start with the the dream piece of it, of what your thoughts are. So whenever I talk about dreams, I always like to start it off with, uh, there's an ancient Egyptian uh, belief that um, one human soul inhabits three different bodies at the same time in different dimensions and, uh, or three different bodies doesn't have to be human. Um, And then when you have dreams at night, that seem really vivid and real, you're essentially getting a glimpse into one of those other lives. Um, We don't know exactly what dreams are. And there's actually a big push amongst researchers to kind of think of dreams, the dream state as another form of reality, another life that we're living because we spend so much of our lives sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, That's why you always want to sleep. <laughs> I feel like the astral plane that like there's times where people have prophetic dreams or like there was Absolutely. a series of events where I was like, wow, I feel like I'm really active or there's all these conversations happening in um, my dream state. And then I have other clients of mine are people saying you came to me in this dream and you were like telling me things. And so it sounds like those researchers are pushing for it being like a, an astral realm that we go into like a light body that we go into. Yeah. And it's interesting when you start looking at all the different things that kind of uh, come from the same place. So when you're born and when you die, um, your body is completely saturated in dimethyltryptamine. Um, It's also something that uh, is produced by the pineal gland when we dream. Um, when we enter the REM uh, sleep cycle, 
Um, and something else that happens in REM is that your brain spikes with uh, theta wave activity, um, which is something else that happens when you're doing transcendental meditation. Mm-hmm. Uh, your brain spikes in theta wave activity, and there's actually a uh, there's actually a study done that shows that when you uh, um, use psychedelic substances in a ritual setting, um, that it also has the same effect where your brain spikes in theta wave activity. And <laughs> I always bring it up, but I can never find the citation for it. I, I feel like I read somewhere that um, there was a study done on experiencers and when somebody is going through a paranormal experience, their brain also spikes in theta wave activity. But like I said, I can never find the citation for that. Um, you read it on another dimension, Chris. Yeah, another part of your soul. <laughs> I accessed it in the Akashic Records or something. Maybe yeah, that Akashic part of you did the study or... and wrote about it, and then you just remember it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but to answer answer your question, yeah, I think uh, I think channeling and medita- and uh, like mediumship is definitely possible through the dream state. There's definitely something going on. Um, I think there's a definite a definite difference between just like a normal obnoxious dream where there's lots of crazy stuff happening and something that feels completely different. Like there's yeah. definitely two different feelings that happen. Um, and I've had prophetic dreams before. I usually don't <laughs> remember the dream until after um, the thing that was prophesying happens, but <laughs> it, uh, so it's not very useful. <laughs> You're the after prophet. <laughs> exactly. yeah, I knew that was coming exactly. up. Sorry, guys. Um, and it actually, that kind of falls into the realm of deja vu. Like it, that's another kind of weird experience that all humans have that we don't, can't really explain too well. Um, so I definitely think there's a lot going on there. And I think it all, actually all ties back to humans being a naturally telepathic species. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had too much stuff happen to me in my life and other people involved when this happened to make me believe that, you know, we have telepathic stuff going on all the time. We just kind of disregard it as being something else or being an errant imaginary thought or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think empathy is a base form of telepathy and we're starting to see a lot more people awakening to uh, their empathy. Um, and I think the last year was a good example of that. <laughs> um, everybody kind of had to sit back and take a couple of weeks to just be with themselves and drove some people crazy, but I think a lot of people woke up to empathy during that period. So Chris, when you first had those like Donnie Darko-ish experiences where like you were talking about when you were very young, and I know on the the other podcast you're talking about you were in your crib when you first had that experience. How did you process that? Or, you know, how did you come to understand that that was something of a spiritual term or did you just, think you were freaking out or did you think it was a dream at that point? And were you able to talk to anyone else about that experience? So because this stuff has been happening since I can remember the very first memories that I have, I don't, I didn't really have a kind of a baseline to compare it against. And so for the longest time, I just thought that was reality. And it wasn't until I was a little older, right about 12 or 13, um, when I realized that, hey, not everybody is having this stuff happen, 
um, this might be a little bit weird. And I grew up in a uh, fundamentalist, Bible-believing Baptist household. And so it was, it was an interesting inner struggle um, because at the time I was a Baptist as well. And so the only couple of answers that I was getting from that community was, hey, you're crazy, or hey, you know, the, the devil's gotcha, you know. Um, wow. You're possessed by a demon. So wow. neither of those things felt like the truth for me. And so that's kind of when I went and started looking at, you know, abduction research and uh, pagan beliefs and a lot of occult magic stuff. Um, so, yeah, I didn't really didn't really know that it was it was different until, until I was a teenager. I get kind of curious about your journey, like as well with like where your family's at with it now or how it's felt for you to like be more public, you know, about like going on podcasts or saying like, I'm a fucking experiencer researcher. How is that good for you? I am still so nervous about it um, because as an experiencer, like when you've had these weird experiences and stuff has happened to you that's outside the realm of what you're told is reality. The very first thing that you think is, man, I'm, I'm crazy. You know, <laughs> I, I am completely batshit insane. Um, and you feel completely alone in that. Um, and so it's very, very difficult to talk about it with anybody, much less going public with it. But when I started doing this research in earnest, uh, the first few experiencers that I talked to would actually, um, start tearing up when they were telling me about their experiences. Or uh, I had this one lady, um, she started to cry when she was telling me about her experiences because she'd never been able to talk about it with anybody else. Yeah. And so that touched me on an emotional level and it really kind of drove me to be here, you know, being open about it. I think that, I don't think that there's anything necessarily special about experiencers. I think mm -hmm. that, we're just the ones that acknowledge what's happening. Um, I think this type of stuff happens to a lot of people, uh, possibly the majority of people. that um, has been my experience. Like people will start off a conversation about weird stuff being like, Oh no, that's never happened to me. And then about halfway through, they'll be like, you know, there was that one time a few years ago. <laughs> well, so, I think we've had a lot of guests on here where it almost feels like, this these kind of things are the norm i'd almost say for everyone but society and the people around us kind of stomp the magic out of us like we've had you know very very well educated guests come on here talking about seeing fairies when they were young and mm -hmm. seeing elves and all kinds of things and like you've seen a sasquatch like i really believe the possibility is these things are the norm but we're told to shut up or we're crazy or like the devil's got you. And so we, we take all the magic out of this experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, mean, when you, Oh, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, um, you know, it used to be magic used to be an intimate part of our species lives. Um, mm -hmm. And it's really only within the last hundred years that that's been stomped out and taken out of our society. And I mean, look what's happened. We have mental health problems running rampant. We yeah. have um, all these terrible, you know, divisive things that are happening. Magic's not here anymore. Or it's still here, but it's considered taboo of sorts. 
Yes, I, I love that. And e even going back to India, like, you know, the, the old Indian beliefs were that you were going to levitate, you were going to teleport, you were going to use your telepathic gifts. These were like absolutes, you know, and now we look at it as like you said, like it's now something ancient that they were so stupid. That's all folklore. But I believe that that is truth. And now, you know, as we're going through this big ascension, as we're going through this big change, more and more people are standing in their truth. Like, no, I did see shit. And no, I can, I am, I am clairvoyance. And no, I can sense, you know, spirits around us. So I'm glad that you're here to raise another voice for it. It's been, it's been super rewarding. Um, like I'll have, I'll have rough days where I feel like I haven't been super productive. Um, and I feel like a lot of those have been the majority of it, but then I'll have a conversation with somebody and it'll completely, you know, revitalize my, my drive. Um, and especially right now with everything that's going on with uh, the UFO subject becoming more and more mainstream, um, it's a lot easier to talk about this stuff. People are becoming more open-minded about this. Um, and I mean, cause I mean, you've got, you've got the Pentagon saying that UFOs are real. So why not? <laughs> and then we had uh, the CIA a couple of years ago, they declassified 70,000 different uh, files on uh, the ESP programs that were being run uh, during the cold war. So <clears throat> If extrasensory perception and all the stuff that comes with that wasn't real, why are the governments of the world putting so much effort and money into it? You know, I think one thing that we do have to be conscientious of, though, is as they bring this more into the light in the mainstream is to make sure that it's not weaponized against us to make us afraid of these things. Well, it already has yeah. been in the fucking media. And why do you think it was yeah. so hard for me to come out with all my gifts? Because the witchcraft and like, oh, the, you know, like, it's like, that's why my husband's Catholic family was thinks like I'm of the devil. And it's like, all of these gifts and abilities have been spoon fed by somebody so that we don't actually know. I think that it's actually been very deliberate that we do not understand how fucking powerful we are. And as people are awakening and understanding it, and as information passes faster now like through the, the internet oh, and things like this the interwebs like more and more people are like oh well like there's there's more here to me and that it isn't just about fear it isn't just about my survival uh and so i think that that's like exactly what we're going through with this like raise of of consciousness but i do think it has been deliberate to keep people away from all of that stuff well, yeah. And Chris, I kind of wanted to get your opinion about, you know, a lot of people that really have researched otherworldly beings and UFOs. The fear is that like the that our own government here on Earth, we've made a lot of crafts that are UFO adjacent or look like UFOs and mm -hmm. that it can be used as the next thing to ter terrify us is that, oh, we're being attacked by other space forces or other like other plan planet beings. And it's in fact ourselves and i don't usually get into those conspiracy theories but i think it makes a lot of sense that it's being pushed into the light to again make us afraid of an outside enemy so this is a this is a pretty hot button topic in the ufo community and um to be as cliche as humanly possible some of my sources have told me <laughs> that uh 
there is definitely a threat narrative being pushed uh, so that the military can continue getting funding for some of these uh, really secret, you know, pro projects that involve all sorts of uh, revolutionary technology. I haven't seen anything that can prove it. Um, the people that have told me this stuff, uh, I feel like they're trustworthy, but I mean, at the end of the day, that doesn't prove anything. Um, I do think that there is a threat narrative being pushed, and I think that just makes sense. <clears throat> um, in some aspects, it makes sense, because if you have, I think it was Lou Elizondo that said it, but if you have a top-of-the-line alarm system in your home, and you go to bed every night, and you turn the alarm system on, and you make sure all the doors and windows are locked, you wake up in the morning, and everything is still on, and all the doors and windows are still locked, but there's muddy footprints throughout your house, you're going to feel threatened, and you're going to want to know what that is. And so a lot of these UAP and UFO uh, sightings and stuff that are happening regarding the military, those are the muddy footprints. Um, I think we're still at the stage where it's not being pushed that these are an enemy. Um, I think it's still at the, the point where it's a potential threat. And I think that's a smart move. Um, this is a phenomena that Above all else, it's deceptive. <laughs> the trickster phenomena is real. Um, the spirit of Loki is everywhere. Um, <laughs> you cannot trust a damn thing that any of these things tell you because we just don't know enough to trust them. And so that's why I feel personally that the majority of these things are benevolent. Um, there is evidence to show that there is a malevolent presence, though. Um, again, kind of going back to multiple factions, a lot of different stuff going on. Um, there's actually, uh, like, cattle mutilation cases. There's actually uh, human mutilation cases as well. They're not as well known, and they're they're fairly rare, but they do, they do occur where um, the same thing, like, the... The humans are drained completely of blood and they're missing organs and stuff. Um, and it was all surgically removed and it all happened in a place where it was like, this isn't a Dexter episode. <laughs> What's that? I said, are you sure this isn't a Dexter episode? <laughs> Fairly <laughs> certain. Fairly certain. Um, <laughs> Her crushes. <laughs> One of my favorite researchers, uh, David Polites, actually goes into a lot of these kind of cases uh, in his Missing 411 series. Uh, highly recommend those. Um, I don't, I just hesitate to say that, you know, this phenomena is all good or is all bad. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I'm not like completely opposed against the threat narrative. I just think that we should be wary about them becoming enemies without them having done anything to deserve that. Yeah, that's what I completely believe. Like I posted like a, a short clip on in our group about talking about like, we're kind of putting upon aliens what we've done for our own people. That, you know, yes. they're more advanced mm -hmm. than us and they're going to come down here. Of course, they're going to seek to colonize us. Yeah, they're going to and... colonize and conquer because that's what we do. So of course they got to be like us, but there's no proof of that outside of these cases that we're talking about that still don't have the clear 
person behind it, like the Loki kind of situation, like clearly they don't know this, but the, the proof isn't there. It's just what we've done to people, which are our own people. They were like, oh, they must be doing that to us. So I think we have to be very cognizant about where we get our information from and be patient and do research and really dig deep before we like label anything a threat or not a threat. And I will say that there is some, there's some indications that you get out of this, what you put in. Um, So if you go into it with fear, you're going to have a fearful experience. You're on that frequency. So you're, that's the only kind of being that you can experience completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. So if the media and Hollywood and the U.S. government is pushing this narrative that you should be afraid of these things, mm. odds are as soon as an experience happens to you, you're going to be terrified, mm-hmm. which yeah. will exacerbate the situation <laughs> and you'll have a terrifying experience. Um, That's why these conversations need to happen. And like yes. whenever I ask like, you know, more like why I'm meant to be channeling. It always came back to almost like that. I, there's many people that do this as sort of a public service of bringing through the information and the intention that like, it's not just for some like business thing, you know, to be magical and can be the next Abraham Hicks, but it's like, (laughs) it's meant to be like, there's going to be need to be many people that have this ability that have come here and agreed to channel through the information so that when news sources and all of these things are just kind of putting people in fear that there's other people that are like, well, here, it's actually this, let's talk about, let's, let's work with this. Let's work with these frequencies so that I feel like otherwise it could get a little fucking ugly when that happens in a bigger way, you know? Absolutely. Um, And when it comes to the spiritual community in regards to this, uh, something else we have to be careful of is to not become Stephen Greer. Um, he was a big influence of mine as far as like his perception of the phenomena and how to interact with it through uh, CE5 protocols. Mm-hmm. But he's... <sighs> I just completely disagree with what he's doing now, charging people six to $10,000 to go out into the desert with him to perform these CE5 protocols. Um, I just feel like the spiritual community needs to be really careful about how they approach this subject um, because there has been so many people that have taken advantage of this community. Um, and the people that are wanting to project that love and that light and that positivity. And so these people kind of turn that into, well, join my cult and you'll have all these cool stuff, all these cool things happen to you. Um, Corey Good and David Wilcock are another kind of example that I would bring up about that. Um, It's just, it's sad to see people parting with so much of their hard earned money going towards something that isn't adding to either the paranormal community or the spiritual community in any sort of positive way. Um, And so I think on that front, like we definitely need to be having these conversations for that reason. Um, 
to kind of make sure that our intentions are pure and on the level and we kind of keep with our integrity. Mm, I don't know about all of those things. I'll have to go look into it because I know that they show like split from Gaia. So we'll have to go look into that. Yeah, I, I've been really thankful for all of the research Greer has brought forward. I don't know. I, I do agree that we, you know, regardless of any name attached, we need to make sure that we're not putting profit ahead of knowledge and profit ahead of growth. I think there is an exchange of energy when people are pay for services and that's, you know, agreeable, but like we need to not become enemy, you know, when we're supposed to be spiritual allies in this, we're supposed to be a spiritual family. So I totally agree in that. I feel like that's like a whole other topic just because I'm like in the business of helping like people like, you know, I'm like, I charge $300 for my readings. So I'm like, a whole other, I feel like topic that has like so many different like nuances to it but i think i see like at the end of the day that it's like i think that's why i get that sense of public service that there's certain things that come in i think when you have certain abilities or information that it's not necessarily tied to your channel of like making money that i think some you probably have like this certain call of like oh i just have this thing in me that's telling me i need to go out and sort of get this information for the people that want facts, for the people that need research, for the people that need someone really grounded and normal looking, you know, to actually deliver these details and, and normalize it. And I think that's like, I think what's at the heart of what you're saying. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, we live in a currency based society. We definitely all need to make an income. Um, we need to be able to support ourselves and doctors make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. So, why not spiritual healers? Why, you know, spiritual healers should be able to live a very comfortable life as well. Um, and so I suppose it comes down to, you know, people are going to spend their money on whatever they want to spend their money on. I just feel like in the cases of like Greer and stuff, when it starts to tarnish the community instead of hold it up and, and help it, out um and greer has brought a lot of good stuff to the ufo community he uh he had a lot of uh he had the most sources of like military insiders and stuff that were making um their testimony uh it's just he i feel like he's kind of gone down a more currency-based path well I, i think your point and the way I see it is I love coaches that are really nice and like do like a lot of like really nice things to their grounds. And I fucking hate mega churches. Like, <laughs> like the Crystal Cathedral makes me fucking sick. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's yeah. good to be plentiful. And like to- the preacher that buys the jet or like <laughs> that we're talking about, like he's like spending yeah. church money yeah. on private jets. I think you're kind of talking yeah. about these nuances of like, where's the the line well it make it churches they don't right. give back and they take 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 and you know a, a nice church that delivers to the community should have great and same with spiritual people in the spiritual community have nice you're bringing something to the table have nice livings but these mega churches i'm i'm you know, going on <laughs> mega church like tangent on our next topic yeah make me sick so <laughs> should we try the ce5 like protocol would you recommend that when we go out oh, to 100% doctor? Yeah, 100%. Um, just keep in mind that Stephen Greer did not invent the CE5 protocol. It's been around since uh, the 60s and arguably way before then. Um, but he does have a really good set of uh, protocols and he has a really good guide of 
guided uh, meditation that you can find on YouTube uh, for doing your own CE5 at home. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely suggest kind well, of looking into that. We might have to call you when we're in, in uh, Joshua Tree. You know, Ashley might have to light up and call you and you'll have to walk us through. But thank you so much for hanging out with us. I hope you'll Absolutely, come back yeah, to yeah. topics. You know, Sasquatch, like, it's another one on my radar. Yeah. I really want to talk about for We want to sure. just do these, like, deep dives into yeah. other things. So you're going to be one of our experts. Like, I know that you're up and coming. So you're going to be one of our featured guests. <laughs> that would be awesome. Uh, <laughs> you know, like the guy with the crazy hair that's like always like that guy. You're gonna Millions. be like this guy for us. I love him so much. So you're gonna have to probably like stick your hair. Up yeah, and take we're gonna that need out. a little bit more effort into like your character. If you're gonna like be oh a guest for it. But can anyone find you anywhere, Chris? You working on anything? Yeah. Um. So right now I'm mostly active on Twitter. Uh, you can find me uh, at Vale Road Dude, uh, V-E-I-L-R-O-A-D-D-U-D-E. Um, and that's where I'm most active right now. I'm actually working on some video projects right now, as well as a, a possible podcast. Um, but nothing definitive at the moment. Uh, still working through some technical stuff. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. And again, it was really fun. Okay. Bye, Chris. Bye, Chris. Thank you. Bye, guys. <laughs> so, did you get your fix of talking about? It's never enough. Worldly, it's, it's never enough. It's like alcohol. Yeah, that you just enough. are now alcoholically yeah. into otherworldly beings. I'm gonna take. I'm not gonna seek treatment for. <laughs> is that in your greatest advice? Good now. <laughs> it is now. So I shall not seek treatment for my fascination with otherworldly beings. I shall not. I do think that. I know at one point, like he was talking about that Randonautica app or that he's filming something or creating something. And we, tr we tried that and we did, we tried to actually like have some like things to record and report mm -hmm. back. And we just no, like, it was failed. It, yeah. It was Although awful. we weren't ballsy, like going onto people's private properties and knocking on people's doors and stuff. So maybe we just weren't committed enough to the process. I think I would have probably got arrested in my drinking days if we had that. app. <laughs> I'm going over this fence. Like there's someone in there. They want to be found. The app told me like, so I'm glad that I got sober before we tried that shit because I definitely you probably would have laughed. It left me there. I would, <laughs> we don't go there. Are these some resentments coming up? <laughs> yeah, you've made amends. Okay, thank you. So should we talk about next week? Oh, yeah. So we are diving into narcissism next week that's how we do things around here we have like an experience or researcher than a therapist to talk yeah. about narcissism and we are going to um just talk about these different kinds of narcissistic relationships mm -hmm. like me being somebody that had i will i really had to think about how i was going to fucking talk about this on a podcast um one of my you know a primary caregiver an adult in my life that was a primary caregiver having the realization at 37 you know, that I had a narcissist be a primary caregiver. <laughs> Make it sound like a nurse abuse. And that, <laughs> no, but it it is like a form of mm -hmm. like a, a, abuse and it kind of fucking tripped me out to have this realization. And you were like, well, duh, like, I guess you saw it, but I, it was this, this um, big realization of how I had repeated that relationship with other uh, bosses and people that Over. I worked with. 
Um, and that I was like, wow, like, or a lot of times people do it in their, their romantic relationships where, because it's really hard to form that connection, that emotional connection, or it's really hard to get praise from that individual. We actually seek those relationships out and we, we think like, oh, we'll we'll be enough. We're going to be loved enough. Like if we can get that praise or that admiration from them. And so I think it's going to be really good because I know there's a lot in our community that. Well, here's where I'm excited for us to do it for this podcast with the people who tend to listen to it. Narcissist seek impacts. <laughs> they really seek them out because that's like prime. Target. Probably like the unempowered empath the, the that doesn't have boundaries empath, yet. Yeah, the empath that doesn't know how to use the empathic gift because it is a gift. It doesn't yeah. know how to use that gift. The narcissist really seeks the uh, untrained, undisciplined, uh, the, the, the empath that has no boundaries and really sinks their teeth into it. And well, I Because think- most empaths are the product of uh, many times of a narcissistic like person in their life that raised them because they swung, they swung to the opposite side because they were so like deprived of that emotional connection. They become like ultra sort of like caring and loving and just like wanting to, they feel everything from everybody and they're super sensitive yeah. to well, it. I mean, well, I know we'll dive into it, but I think it, like, we've had like a lot of responses, a lot of private messages about this topic. Mm-hmm. And I think now is like a great time to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you feel empowered, you you feel heard and seen, and we're going to have a great guest really walk us through it. And yeah. Ashley's going through her own form of healing and understanding of it. I'm yeah. going through my own form of healing and understanding from it. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of you have had this experience. So we hope you'll join us and ask questions and we can really yeah we just i was trying to we're trying to dive into the topic already on the channel that's how heated we get about it i know (laughs) well i feel like it's so it's so important Mm -hmm. and i feel like it's one of the biggest things that people are involved in that they they a lot of people don't i mean even me being so into the personal development community and a coach i had no clue i heard the term i didn't really even know what it is or how to spot like how that shows up in relationships. And I think it's going to be a really good eye-opening conversation. So next Friday at five, we hope you'll join us. And thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight. Bye everybody. Bye.